So Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. It's on page 625 of the Visitor's Bibles. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your neck and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for someone's blood, let's waylay some harmless soul, let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit, we will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us and we will share a common purse. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net in full view of all the birds. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They waylay only themselves. Such is the end of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the lives of those who get it. There's wisdom and there's foolishness and it's foolishness to pursue evil even though you think you'll be rewarded because God is the judge. And so because God is the judge, it's a good idea, isn't it, to confess our sins when we come before him and when we come before him in prayer. So let's pray a confession uh, together, mindful of uh, our failings and mindful that God is the judge. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Father, we have gone our own way, not loving you like we should, nor loving others as ourselves. We have sinned against you by thinking, speaking and doing and not doing what we should do. We deserve to be judged. Father, forgive us. Help us to love you and others and to live our lives in praise and worship of you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. It says in the Bible that Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. With that confidence, Elaine's going to lead us uh, as we pray together. Right. So James chapter 1, starting at verse 1, on page 1196 in the Visitor's Bibles. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, 
not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave in the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. The man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to all those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like, does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be the, a kind of first fruits of all he created. Thanks, Andrew. That's great. Do keep uh, that passage open there in James chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be uh, looking at that. And um, last week we talked about or launched the James series and uh, had copies of these. Uh, if you didn't get one, like these in, in a particular sense are a companion for growth groups, but if you didn't get one uh, yet, and in fact, uh, if you're not in a growth group, um, that's okay, and I'd still love you to have one of these. We've printed enough for everyone to have one uh, because of the opportunity of being able to keep how the word is impacting us uh, together in one spot. So if you are in a growth group and you have one, can I encourage you, bring it along and uh, make notes in it and share with that, uh, share that together. Uh, but uh, you can turn to page eight if you'd like, uh, or you can uh, write on this and then, you know, glue it in or something. I'm sure uh, my daughters love gluing. They'd be very happy to glue your page in for you into your booklets. You might get glue on other things too, but, you know, it'll stick, I'm sure. Um, all right, why don't I uh, pray for us as we hear from God and his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a good God, uh, a God who knows us and loves us, a God who gives uh, good words. We ask that you would help us uh, to hear this word tonight, uh, to sit humbly under it and to receive it, not just as those who hear uh, and so deceive ourselves, uh, but those who act on it, who do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know uh, about you, but when you read those first couple of lines, those first uh, few verses uh, in James's letter, we're, we're confronted by what seems like a contradiction, aren't we? What, what seems like a, a, a puzzle, a you know, conundrum, paradox, misnomer, joy and suffering together. It, it seems like there's a problem here. Is James a bit of a nutter or something? 
Um, just look at those words again. Pray, oops, sorry, I'm in the wrong book. That's one, Peter. Look at those words again. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Joy in trials, is he serious? Happiness in suffering, it sounds like fairyland, like make-believe. Yeah, we're just, you know, all jumping around, happy, happy, joy, joy, and, and, it's, and it's happy all the time. Surely this is either completely out of touch with reality or there's like a facade kind of thing going on and there's a very different story going on underneath. What is going on here? That's how I feel when I first read it. I know for me, when life is hard, life is hard. I don't want to stay in it. I don't want to sit under that. I want to get out of suffering. Not stay in it, let alone consider it as joy. How do we hold these things together? Well, as we look tonight, we're going to look uh, intently in this and have a think about it to see what God's Word says. But one thing that gives me hope is some of the other examples that I see. At one level, it does seem out there, it seems crazy land, but at another level, we hear about people with joy, don't we? After Jesus rose from the dead uh, and the apostles are preaching uh, in Jerusalem, they're preaching and, and healing in Jesus' name and the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, call them in and they warn them not to teach in this. They did that once and then, and then they keep going. They're like, well, we need to do what God says. And so they keep preaching and then they get them back a second time and this time they flog them and say, don't talk in this name. It's quite reported in just a few short words there in Acts chapter 5. But how horrific that would have been. Can you imagine that? Being flogged, lashes with a, a whip that's tied with little bits of bone in the end. 40 minus 1, you know, so as not to transgress the law, as if what they were doing was lawful. And Acts Chapter 5, verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing through their suffering. Rejoicing. It sounds so out there. It's, it's not natural, is it? It's not the normal response to suffering. Later on in Acts, Paul and Silas, they've been flogged as well and they're in prison and they're singing psalms singing hymns to God and praising Him. Contrast this to Revelation. Revelation uh, chapter 16, I think, or maybe it's not chapter 16, I won't look it up, but Revelation where wrath and judgment is being poured out upon the earth. The bowls of God's wrath are being poured out as a sign that the end is coming. Turn back. And what do the people do? They curse God and they hate him. Do they rejoice? No. Do, do they turn back to God? No. They curse God for the pain that he brings upon them. And we see this all around us, don't we? We're in a, a culture so averse to suffering of any kind that people rail against God about their own hardship or about the hardship of others. Where is God? What is God doing? This is That's the natural human reaction 
But here we're hearing about something that's so different. Far from that, isn't it? Far, something far better. Is it, is it real suffering that he's talking about? What's going on for the readers that he's writing to? Chapter 1, verse 1, verse one the second half there, what does he say? He says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. 12 tribes, uh, picture Old Testament Israel, uh, but this is a New Testament context. It's, it's the, the people of God, uh, but they're scattered. It's likely that most of the people who James is writing to are Jewish Christians that have been scattered, driven out of Jerusalem from the persecution that they faced in the early chapters of Acts. Persecution like the stoning of, of Saul against, uh, stoning of Stephen by Saul. Further suffering at the hands of the wealthiest, we go on to read in James. Poverty not receiving wages, being oppressed and sidelined, ignored and put down. Their suffering is by no means theoretical. And although we might, we might not be, at this stage at least, suffering like many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are around the world for being Christians. There was a pastor just recently in India, in Punjab, who was killed outside his church. Muslim background believers who want to come to the true Lord Jesus, yet don't want to reveal that, because they'll be killed by their family. Still, the suffering that we experience really is real, too. It's hardship. What is it for you? Is it just being a serious Christian at school? Is it your health? Is it difficulty in relationships this is real and by no means does this word here about joy and suffering mean that we should just have a facade that we keep up appearances while suffering in our silence if this word of God is good and we do we hold that that God's word is good and it and it comes to us then how as this word of God, this word that brings life out of death, that brings life transformation, how are we going to hear this? Because I think there's something here that actually deeply connects with all of us. It deeply connects with us whether we love Jesus and follow him or whether we're not there yet. This connects with us because we all actually live in a world filled with suffering, don't we? We live in a world filled with tears. What makes the difference then? What actually makes the difference? So, such that we don't end up like those guys in Revelation, cursing God, but might be able to respond to, with joy in trials. Well, there's two things and they're closely connected. Firstly, it's the finished product, as you'll see on the outline, and secondly, wisdom from God. What is it that enables trials and sufferings to be endured with joy rather than curse God? Or even just to, to merely, you know, grit our teeth, grin and bear it. Well, it's only going to work for a little while. What, what is it? Well, it's understanding where they lead. Understanding what's at the end of the path. Okay? The finished product. Mature. Completeness in Christ. 
Have a look with me there in chapter two, uh, chapter one, verse two. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's through trials and testing, trials and hardship, that our faith is tested, isn't it? It's that testing of our faith that produces perseverance, that spiritual strength, staying power, endurance. That's what comes from the testing of our faith. And actually, it's, it's hugely important too. It just look down at, at verse 12. We see just here in this first few verses, it's the one... Blessed is the one, the one who perseveres under trial. It's the one who perseveres under trial who will receive the crown of life. You know, we know that that trusting God for salvation is central, isn't it? It's it's Jesus who saves us and and we believe that, but it's keeping it, persevering in that. That's just as important, isn't it? Faith that shrinks back, which is choked by weeds, that doesn't bear fruit, does it? It's the faith that perseveres, that produces the harvest. So where does this persevering faith grow? Well, it grows in the crucible of trials and suffering, doesn't it? We know it from other areas of life too, don't we? Physical exercise, you know, we know no pain, no gain. You don't grow endurance by lying in bed when it's time to be out on the field training with your team. In nature also, you know, if you, if you free a butterfly from its chrysalis, from its cocoon, and so you free it from that struggle of liberating itself, then you actually destroy its life because it will never develop the strength that it needs to fly. And so for us, for you, for me, for all of us who are God's people, God's children, His good and His wise plan for our spiritual strength, for our persevering faith, is the testing of our faith, that staying power, that robust and tested faith that comes through the trials. Now, this is good, isn't it? That's a good thing. You can look at that and say, yeah, I want to be the one who keeps going, keeps trusting the Lord. But that's not even the the finished product here. Did you see that? Verse 4. It's not only perseverance that's the finished product. Verse 4, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's, it's wholeness, completeness in Christ that James is talking about here. It's not kind of being that well-balanced, well-rounded individual in the eyes of the world. No, it's mature in Christ. It's the fruit of the Spirit displayed again and again. Love when it hurts, 
continually. Peace when you know that war is brewing. Patience when there's every reason to be frustrated. Kindness when all you want to do is yell. Goodness when what is wrong seems so, oh so sweet and tempting. Faithfulness when all others walk away from the faith or break faith. And gentleness when you think harsh thoughts. Self-control when it feels like you've got none left. And the beauty of this godly character. Now, now that is something to delight in, isn't it? That's something, the radiance of Christ's likeness is something to have joy in. Joy that lasts and doesn't wither. The blossom that actually will not fade, that will not fall from the tree. It's the story of a pearl, isn't it? You know the, the, the story about how pearls formed? That a grain of sand comes into the shell of the oyster? And it irritates, it, it rubs. But over time, as the irritation is endured, so the sand becomes coated and, and coated. And what was the irritant, the trial, the testing of faith, has now produced that which is of great glory. All these pearls in human life is that character and likeness of Christ. God's image more fully and perfectly reflected in us, in you. These are the adornments of our transformation in Christ. His glory. You see it particularly in some older saints. I remember one woman little Joan from Emu Plains Anglican Church. She would, she would come each week and hobbled up the path with all her ailments. But you just knew that she was glad to be there. And I know that there's people among you who've had an impact on you too. Pearls. These are the ones who are following the Lord Jesus. The one who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. But, you see, as we saw back in Revelation, it doesn't, it's not like the automatic step, is it? it? Suffering, trials don't always produce perseverance. And perseverance doesn't always lead to fullness in Christ. They're not automatic steps. And that leads us to the second thing that makes a difference, which is the crucial factor here is wisdom from God, the thing that connects up the circuit and makes these steps possible. Wisdom from God. Look with me, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, 
and it will be given to you. It's wisdom from God, wisdom from above, from the implanted Word. It's that understanding and right thinking which comes from God, which enables us not to respond to to trials and sufferings with with self-pity and bitterness, but to see beyond the hardship of the circumstances to what God is doing through them, to His good purposes. It's that wisdom that means not just you can remember, not just when things are going well that God is good, but when you're hurting that God is not a God who tempts people to sin. That God is not a God who delights in His people being tormented by their desires. But a God who humbled Himself and suffered. He did that to bring His good likeness into the lives of those who were wretched. But yet He has given new life through Christ. For his glory. The one who gave his life to make pearls in ours for his glory. When I was younger, we had choose your own adventure books. I don't know if you've heard of those before, but you'd Rereading along and you get to a point where it would say, you know, you can do this, go to page 5, or you can do this and go to page 15 and go along. And you need to make those decisions. Well, it's a little bit like that with suffering. And God's wisdom at each point, as we, we think about what is hard in life, God's wisdom enables us at that point to pick the right path, to show the way to go. This is the key factor, wisdom from God. It's the wiring that enables us to see the end of that path and persevere towards maturity. But I don't know about you as well, but I still, how often we fail. We can see that this word from James is, okay, it's not crazy. Yes, okay, it might be good, but still the hardest thing about this word is what? It's actually doing it, isn't it? There's plenty of words I know which come into my mind, enter my mind when I when things are hard. Oh, come on. Come on, God, I, I don't deserve this. Give me a break. Surely this isn't right. You know, maybe it's not quite, you know, what Job's wife told him to do. Curse God and die. But whinging, grumbling, poor, poor me. That's a fair stretch from that joyful, joy in trials that he talks about here. Are you a wallower? You wallow. Woe is me. My wife was here this morning. She nodded when I said, you can ask her. I'm a wallower. Woe is me, I say. And I think we all do that from time to time. But what's our problem? 
What's my problem? I lack wisdom. What's my answer? Ask God. He gives generously. And man, do I still need it. God's not going to say, Oh, James, you know, look, I've given you wisdom before. You know, you should have got this one already. You should have known that one. Come on, too bad, buddy. You had your chance. But God is a generous giver, like a father longing to give good gifts to his children. So do you, do you ask for wisdom? When you ask, do you expect God to give wisdom? To receive it? God wants us to trust him in prayer when we pray to him. Yet sometimes we can feel riddled with doubt. We'll just take a brief aside on doubt because it, doubt is so insidious. It's so, it breeds more doubt and it can undermine and destroy our faith such that we end up paralyzed, stuck between a rock and a hard place. What's James actually talking about here when he says, for the one who doubts? Well, he goes on to talk about double-mindedness as he brings it together in verse 8. Such a person is double-minded. It's something which comes up again and again, a bit of a theme through James. And, and doubt in this double-minded sense that James is talking about is not a more general doubt or uncertainty that we can sometimes have or feel about a whole range of things, some of us more than others. I know that I'm sinful and so even my trust in God is, is going to be broken in elements. I can't perfectly trust God. Well, thankfully, my salvation doesn't depend on my perfect trust, but on Jesus. But what James is talking about here is double-mindedness. It's wanting both the good stuff from God and the good stuff from the world, which stands opposed to God. It's hedging your bets. It's, you know, if, at least if the God thing fails, well, then I've got something else uh, to back up, to rely on. You know, it's like we were in the city the other day for my mum's 70th and we were at Circular Quay and you've got the ferries there coming and going. It's, it's the one foot on the wharf, I think I said this, and the one foot on the boat. This is not a secure place to be. Whether you like it or not, that gap is widening. Trying to have the best of both worlds is going to get you nowhere but tossed about and you know where you're going to end up with a splash. There's a warning there if we are trying to grab both of those things. But can I say, don't be worried if you're struggling with doubts or uncertainties about different things. Come and talk, talk to God. Come and talk to someone. Okay, they can, we can talk and, and God does help us through that. But don't freak out if you're thinking, well, sometimes, sometimes I ask God and I don't know if I'm going to get the answer. Does that mean I'm not getting anything? No, that's not, what's, that's not what he's talking about here. And we've looked at trials and temptations. We've looked at what makes the difference, seeing the final product, asking for God's wisdom. But how does that actually work for us now? How does that connect with you and me here and now? What do we do? Well, look at the first few words of verse 2, the instruction that's here. Consider it 
joy. Consider it joy. Let me ask you, what part of your body do you consider something with? It's your mind, isn't it? It's with your mind that you assess and decide whether something is good or bad. It's with our mind that we need to employ God's wisdom. That wisdom which renews our mind, transforms us. Considering it, putting our mind to it. To not count trials and suffering as as a heavy loss, something to be avoided at all costs. But to engage a change of mind which sees in and through trials transformation which leads to fullness in Christ, persevering and wholeness. There's a couple of things I just want to mention uh, as we wrap up here. As we think about this joy, it sounds, when you read those words, pure joy, it sounds like that James is talking about, you know, you've got to go around having the joyometer kind of up on 10 uh, for 24-7, you know, this constant uh, temperature of 10, level 10 joy, like, you know, you've got this personal air, joy air conditioner that keeps everything at the same temperature, that maybe disappointment is not okay or something. I think the, the best way to understand actually this phrase, what's going on here, is not pure joy, but, but full joy in a sense of, of great joy, highest joy. There's real joy there, but it's not going to mean that we don't have disappointment, that we don't have real, go through real hardship. We, in fact, if we don't do that, then as we walk following Jesus together, I'd say there's a real problem. We need to, we need to cry together. We need to shed tears together. We need to walk and weep with one another in hardship. We need to be real. You saw me cry at winter warmer. It's all right, I won't do it tonight. There's something else as well, as we think about joy and hardship and persevering. The temptation when it comes to suffering and hardship. It's not only the one that's in the text here, uh, that the temptation is to blame God. Yes, that's a temptation. But there's also the temptation to avoid the suffering so much that we try and short-circuit it. You know, just well, go this way and around and... Well, we can get back onto the road later on. But sadly, that doesn't work. You can't short-circuit perseverance and endurance. You can't short-circuit building spiritual muscles through the testing of faith. It's attractive, especially in the midst of trials. But no pain, no gain, no perseverance, no maturity in Christ, no joy. And something I just need to need to say, um, and it's important to say, uh, something that came up in the middle in this week with domestic violence, uh, Julia Baird and ABC, various documentaries uh, about that, thinking about domestic violence and church communities. And as we continue and, and hear this today about trials and sufferings and perseverance in them, then there's one thing I really want to make absolutely clear. For a woman, or for a man, for that matter, domestic violence is not a trial that you simply need to just put up with silently. 
or anyone abusing members of your family is, is never okay in Jesus' eyes. And to say that the, that the Scriptures say that a wife should submit to her husband's abuse is, is a twisting of the Scriptures and is not God's will. And where that's been done, that's, that's horrific and terrible. The reality is that, that navigating through and out of a harmful situation like that is difficult in itself. That's never going to be easy. It's never the easy way out. Abuse in the home is never justified. And it can be especially difficult for those who are in the midst of it to even be able to recognise it as such. Don't suffer silently if you are going through this. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, let's be safe people so that others who are suffering don't suffer silently. As we look back in our lives, the struggles, the hardships, the challenges that we're facing, what is it for you? There's easy to get caught up on first world problems, isn't it? My internet is down. My phone has run out of data. Electricity prices are going up. I can't do all the things that I want. There's plenty of first world problems. But let's walk alongside one another in the real ones. Let's walk and see the way that God is bringing pearls, adorning us with pearls and let's rejoice as we see them growing because that's something of great joy. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that this word of yours is good and we ask, Lord, that you might really indeed be at work, that you might in the right contexts, give us the opportunity to be real with one another, to walk through the hardships together, to endure, to persevere, to keep walking with you and Lord, give us the joy of seeing the pearls that you are bringing about in our lives as we reflect more fully, more completely, your glorious character. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.